I'm glad to see you all today. Glad to welcome those who are worshiping with us online as well. Always glad to have all of you in worship and glad that you could be here. Now, I want to go back about 25 years ago when I was serving a church and I was reading these books that were helping me. They were based on scripture and Bible and they were just helping me in my Christian life. And I wanted to expose the people in the church to the books I was reading. So I offered them a class and they had to sign up for it if they wanted to take it. And here's what I said. I said, I want you to take this book and I want you to read it before you come to class. And then I want you to come to class and I want to teach what is in the book, the highlights of what I've got. And I'm going to give you a little outline when you get there. And then we'll walk through that together so that you can read the book. You can hear me lecture. You can look at my outline because my wife who's an educator says the more ways that we get it, the more we get it, right? If you read it, write it, hear it, see it, say it, it's a way to reinforce. Now, what happens in the world today is the culture is always reinforcing its message. But what about the Christian faith? And what about the Lord? And how do we just bombard ourselves with Christianity and with the, with the words of God and what he wants to teach us and, and how we can live? Well, we were doing this book, one book a month, and we were doing it about halfway through this class. This woman came up to me. She'd read several of the books. She's been coming every week. She's been listening to my lectures. She's been taking notes. She's got the outline. And, and after I did a few of the classes, they said, give us the outline in advance. Give it to us ahead of time so we can study it too. So here's some people. These people signed up for the course, okay? These people want to learn. These people are, are attending. They're listening. They're reading. They're learning. They're looking at the outline and so this woman came up to me and she said you know all this time you've been teaching this class I've been thinking to myself why does Joe want me to read these books I don't need to read these books he needs to read these books these are not for me and she said it suddenly dawned on me tonight why I need to read these books too because I am supposed to fulfill the great commission as well that's not just the hired help around here. We're all called upon to be Christians, to share our faith, and to be winning people to Christ. However, whatever way we can do it, whatever gifts we have, that's what she was learning. She said, now I'm going to have to go back and read these first few books all over again because now I have a different perspective. And I want to talk about Scripture today because that's what my professor had in mind when he gave me the assignment in seminary to read and study and memorize Scripture. I was taking an evangelism course, and he said, now I want you to memorize what this Scripture says. And, you know, back in the day, we didn't have computers, okay? I know it's hard for you to believe this. There was a time when we didn't have computers, all right? We had the abacus and things like that we used. But, <laughs> but back in the day, see, so you had these things called note cards. I know you're not familiar with this and you had pens and you would write down on the note cards the scriptures from the bible it's a book okay and so we would write them down and we would memorize them so laura and i would commute i was at the seminary she was in the college with there in kentucky and so we would drive every morning from our little parsonage we were newlyweds and this is the way to spend your newlywed years is going to school let me just say to you i'm in graduate school she's in college i'm serving two churches we're going 90 miles an hour all the time. It's just a really, really hectic time. So Laura, being the educator that she is, she's over there in the car, and I'm, I'm driving, and she's quizzing me on all these scriptures. In fact, we still remember some of them. We I talked to her about it this week, and we both, there was one in particular that we could remember right off the bat, and it's been a long time ago that we were reading that. Well, that's what I want to talk about. We're going to talk about 
what, what does the scripture say? But before we can answer that question, we really need to answer this question. And that is, why do we need to know what the scripture says? Now, I want you to think about it in these terms. Have you ever been in love? Anybody in love right now? Anybody want to think about their answer and say yes before they get in trouble <laughs> again? Okay. Well, here's what happens. When you're in love and somebody, today what would happen is somebody that you like, they would send you a text. <laughs> and then you would read it and you would read it over and over and over again because you're in love. And so you would just read that because you want to hear what they have to say. You know, I, I'm, I, I have one beef about this. Why didn't they have texting when I was coming along? In the days when I was single, do you realize that would have added years to my life? Do you know how much stress that that is? Because back when I was coming along, you had to call a girl's house on the telephone. And it just rang in the house, and it was for anybody to answer. And usually it was her mom, or even worse, her dad. Hi, I'm calling. I want to talk to your daughter. Is she at home? Is she available? That's the last thing you want to do. And then when she comes to the phone, you have to ask her out over the phone, right? And you can't see her face, and you don't know what she's thinking. You don't know that she's rolling her eyes back in her head and going to one of her friends, right? And, and so you're asking her out, and, and so then you have to wait. And it's so stressful. Now you can just send a text. Would you like to go so-and-so and do this and that? And then they go, no. Well, the result would be the same as it was for me, but there wouldn't be as much stress involved with it, okay? Well, listen, if you love somebody, you want to read what they have to say, and God loves us, Amen. And he wrote us this love letter. And he says, listen, I'm telling you everything you need to know. I'm telling you who I am. I'm telling you who you are in my eyes. I want you to know me. I want to have a relationship with you. And let me tell you something. When you read his word, what happens is you get inspired. When you read his word, it comes alive. You can read it over and over and over again. And every time you read it, something new comes and it's something meaningful. And, and the Bible is as sharp as a two-edged sword. You know, you don't even have to have somebody to tell you. You just read it and all of a sudden, boy, God just speaks to you. And you know that's true. He speak, And so how are we going to know who he is? How are we going to know who, what he thinks of us if we don't read his word? Now, the Holy Spirit can speak to us. And he does, and he tells us stuff just directly. But sometimes he does that as we read the Scripture. You ever read the Scripture, and all of a sudden it just comes alive, and you've read it before, but that particular verse, you've never seen something from that perspective before, and all of a sudden it speaks to you. Now, the Pharisees prided themselves in the, in back in the day of Jesus because they had 613 laws. And, and have you ever tried to keep any laws at all? I mean, it's really hard. And so it was hard for them to try to do. They were trying to do that to enhance what the Old Testament had taught them. But it was like impossible for them to do. And so in Luke 10, this guy comes along and he is uh, a lawyer, a scribe of the day. And he asked Jesus a question. And here's what he says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? 
He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul's right there just a minute, because I want you to see that. He gives him a summary of what we're supposed to do. Don't get hung up on the 613 laws. Just do those things right there that we see in that scripture. Just love these people and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus responds, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, I want you to understand the way they thought back then. Rabbis would often debate in public because they were known for understanding the law. That was the Bible, the, the Old Testament, the law. That's what they referred to it as. And, and they would ask questions. They were like lawyers. They would ask questions. And there's nothing wrong with asking questions. And I'm just so thankful for that because I'm a firstborn. And the staff will tell you I ask a lot of questions. But hey, I'm not alone. Did you know that in the Gospels, Jesus asked over 300 questions? It's good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me, right? And so we learn things by asking, right? And it's a benefit to us. So questions are okay. And you know what? God is not upset when we ask him questions. You know, I remember this guy came and talked to us at seminary one time, and he was in a cult, and he had gotten delivered from it, and he became a Christian. But he said, you know, the one thing that I always remember is in the cult, when we would ask questions, they didn't like that. They didn't like for us to question stuff. They just wanted us to blindly believe things and not even think it through on our own. Well, the Bible is right there for you to read it. And it's right there for you to ask questions. And it's right there for us to know what God wants us to know. And so he doesn't get upset. It's the motivation behind asking the questions. And this lawyer, what he's trying to do is he's trying to use a method to trip Jesus up. We'll see that in just a minute. And so what he's saying is, you know, I'm going to ask him a question. Who is my neighbor. That's the way lawyers are. They ask you, well, they say, why? Why, do you, why did you say that? Why do you believe? And then when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, well, okay, who is my neighbor? So what he's making it is abstract, okay? And Jesus wants him to make it personal. Now, there's three things I want to mention about this today. And the first one is this. Our view of Jesus impacts everything else. You know this is true. In culture today, if you're not a Christian, you look at the world through one perspective. But if you are a Christian, you look at everything through a totally different perspective because you have principles and values and things that you've learned in the Bible to live by. And that applies to everything that you do in life and every way that you look at things. And Peter had to do that in his life. He had to come to a place where he knew who Jesus was. He knew Jesus. He knew he was the Son of God. And by saying that, he's saying, I trust him. I believe in him. I have confidence in him. And that's what he wants us to have as well. Now, we don't know what the scribe thought about Jesus. He may have thought that. He may not have thought that. But he lacks spiritual maturity. He's trying to trap Jesus, but Jesus traps him. And he brings him back to the law. He goes back and he says, well, what does the Bible say? What does the law say? What does the truth say? Not because the law will save him, but the law will point out how much we need a Savior. And so in the book of Romans, it says, this. Um, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sins. See, when we read God's word, we see, uh uh-oh, I've messed up. Uh Uh-oh, I've made a mistake. I'm convicted. You see, because when we have conviction, then that leads to conversion. Anybody here ever been convicted? 
Okay, look, I'm not talking about going to court, okay? I'm talking about the Holy Spirit speaking to you and then saying, oh, yeah, I need to listen to it. Ray was just saying, you know, the, the, the God was speaking to him. The Holy Spirit was speaking to him when he was talking today. And he's saying, you know, he was struggling with one thing there, and he's learning about himself, and he's trying to become more and more every day like God wants him to be. Well, we realize that we're sinners because when we do that, that's when we know we need a Savior. See, if you think everything's hunky-dory and great, you don't need a Savior, right? Because everything's fine. But it's when you begin to understand who God is and what He teaches, what He believes and how we act and how we live and what we do and the mistakes that we make, then we begin to say, hey, I'm a sinner. I can only be saved by grace. I need a Savior. And so in those days, the Pharisees had 613 laws. Jesus tried to make it real simple. And so what happened was, uh, to Jesus' question, the scribe then quotes back two different passages of Scripture. The first one's in Deuteronomy and the second one's in Leviticus. And he says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so he answers correctly. And he said, yeah, you answered that correctly. But then he wants to know, well, who's my neighbor? And what he's trying to do is he's just trying to look at it from an abstract perspective. Okay, who are we talking about? What's the law say? And Jesus says, no, I want you to really get this. So I'm going to try to help you understand it. Because Jesus loves us personally, not just because uh, we minister to people. You see, when I first went into the ministry, they explained to me as I went on staff of a church, hey, listen, you, you can't substitute your relationship with God with your job. You know, your, your relationship to God is different from your service to God. You just got to have a relationship with God. You just got to talk to him and spend time with him and be with him. And then because of your relationship, you're going to go out and serve him every day, right? And so we have to learn there's a distinction there. And Jesus loves us. Sometimes we think he loves everybody else and not us, but that's a lie from the pit. We don't have to believe it. So in answering the question correctly, the scribe goes on to justify himself because that's what the rabbis did in those days. They were always debating and trying to win the debate. Have you ever tried to win a debate? Laura used to say to me that, that she would say to me, you know, you're always right and I'm always wrong when we first got married. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you're never wrong. You're always right and I'm always wrong. How can that possibly be? And one time she was right and she said, now see there, see there, just say it. Just say I was right and you were wrong. And I said, okay. I was right, and you were wrong. That's not what I meant, she said, right? But, but that was the motivation behind these scribes, these lawyers. What they were trying to do was make their point. You know, sometimes you can talk to somebody and just listen, and you can learn and hear something and gain knowledge and get truth from them, or you can try to convince them from, of your perspective. You, you can try to be right, 
You can try to be justified. You're always focusing on the wrong thing. And what happens when you do that is you become self-righteous, and we all do that sometimes. And so what do we do sometimes? We disregard parts of Scripture. Have you ever done this? There's parts of the Bible I don't really like, and so I'm just going to skip over that part real quick and move on to something I like better, okay? You ever do that? You sitting beside somebody who ever does that? Yeah, we do that sometimes, don't we? Now, listen, I heard of a true, this conversation just took place. Somebody shared this with me. They said they were talking to this man, and they said to him, well, this is what I believe about faith. And he says, if you can show that to me in the Bible, I will believe it, okay? Now, later in the conversation, same man talking to the same person, and he says, he said, well, I don't believe everything I read in the Bible. Well, now, wait a minute there. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, okay, if you can show it to me in the Bible, I'll believe it, but I don't believe everything that's in the Bible. I mean, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth, right? And so that's not the first time in Scripture that that takes place, and that's not the first time people were self-righteous. It happens. And in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, Jesus talks about the Old Testament truths, the Ten Commandments, and then he says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's from Romans. Now, here's what Jesus said. You have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You have heard it said, he said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And so what he's saying is, I want you, he's flipping their whole way of thinking upside down. And he's saying, I want you to specifically look beyond what the law says, and I want you to see what God is saying to you, and I want you to be convicted so that you can see from a different perspective. Because even though I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. I want you to know more than just the law. I don't want you to just know what the Scripture says. I want you to know why it's there. I want you to understand it. I want you to live by it. Now, the second thing we see is that following Jesus is not about doing all the right right things. It's all about your heart. Boy, don't you feel better? I, I do, because how many people are perfect today? Anybody perfect? One day the preacher was preaching in church. Yeah, see? One day the preacher was preaching in church. He said, anybody perfect? Stand up. One man stood up. He said, sir, did you hear me correctly? I asked if you're perfect. Stand up. He said, are you perfect? He said, oh, no. He said, why'd you stand up? He said, I'm standing up as proxy for my wife's first husband. <laughs> Because obviously he was perfect, right? Because that's what he heard about all the time. Well, you know, God's not looking for us to be perfect or just good deeds all the time. He's trying to look at our heart. He wants a relationship with us, and he wants our heart to be right with him. And the scribe was missing it. In Matthew, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever we value most... Whatever we value, it'll show up. It'll be in our heart. So if we value God and we read his word, then that's in our hearts, right? That's something that we're proving that that is a value to us by doing that. And so the, the, the lawyer just asked the question, who is my neighbor? Because he just wants to talk about general terms, okay? But he wants him to think about it. So, so Jesus, to get his attention, that's why he responded this way. That's why Jesus tells this parable. 
Jesus responds to the question, who is my neighbor? And he tells them the parable of the Good Samaritan. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, he stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he saw the place and, he, and, and saw him, came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured oil and wine. Then he put him on his donkey, his own donkey, and brought him to the inn. He took care of him. And the next day he, he gave he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him to go and do likewise. Now, here's what he's saying. He told this parable on, person, on purpose, and, and it was a parable. That's what it was. Because people walked from Jerusalem to Jericho, and, and the trail they had to take, it was easy to get robbed. And so everybody who heard the message, everybody who was listening, they tuned right into what Jesus was talking about. And he, he purposely picked a priest and a Levite because they were the religious leaders, and that's who everybody looked up to. And that's who this scribe, this guy who was asking him questions, this lawyer, that's kind of his hero. And he said, no, they passed by on the other side. They didn't stop and help the man. But then a Samaritan, and, and Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They had no love for each other. In fact, the Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans, and, and yet the Samaritan becomes the hero in the story. It was the Samaritan who went out of his way to stop and help the man and take care of him. He, he was one who was hated. Here's a guy who takes care of somebody who doesn't care for him. Here's a guy who risks his life, and he spends his own money. And as far as we know, he's never rewarded or honored because of it. It doesn't say that in the Scripture. And the expert of the law said, okay, I get it. It's the third guy, the Samaritan. He was the one that was the neighbor. But what Jesus was trying to get him to see, and that's why he told it in this way, is what I want you to see is that this is personal. This is a personal thing. And what did he do? He showed mercy. See, it's one thing to show mercy to the people you like, the people you're close to, the people you love, the people in your family. It's another thing to show mercy to your enemy. And yet that's what he did. The Samaritan showed mercy. And that's what Jesus wants us all to understand. We need to show mercy. And when you have somebody that you're struggling with, someone that you're at odds with, someone you're struggling to show mercy to, that's when you've got to start praying for them. Because when you pray for them, God will put in your heart a, a desire for that prayer to be answered for them and for them to be blessed. And all of a sudden, you can look at them from a different perspective. The lawyer wanted to do it from a general way, and Jesus said, no, let's be specific. See, it's easy to give to the church, but to fail to be actively involved. Do you remember last week what I said? Last week I said that in July we have people who volunteer to do nursery and hospitality, and they have the audacity to go on vacation. And then we need somebody to step in their place and offer help in the nursery and in hospitality. And so you actually do something about it. Could you do that? Yeah. And so we talked about that. And, you know, I know of one person who responded to that. One person 
stepped up and did one of those things this week. One person came forward and said, uh, right after the service, and said, okay, I want to volunteer. I want to serve. And that's why I brought it up again today. <laughs> Just in case you missed it. Just in case you were going, la, 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 I don't want to hear that. That's the part I want to skip over. Because maybe you might be convicted to serve in the nursery or to serve in hospitality or to do something else that you never dreamed you'd do and get out of your comfort zone. Why? Well, that's what we're supposed to do. We're servants. That's what Jesus did. He, 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 and he taught us. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And he said, now you go and do what I'm telling you, you do likewise. You do what I do. And that's what he's telling him. You know, it's easy to say I'm going to pray for somebody and then not do it, right? You ever do that? But, you know, it's important. I learned over 20 years ago, I went to a conference. A guy talked about having a prayer journal and spiritual formation. I went there, and I started doing the prayer journal. I didn't want to do it. I was convicted. I listened to this guy, and I did it. And because I did it, here's what happened. It made me read the Bible every day because it had a scripture, and I could read through the whole Bible in one year. And so I had a scripture I could refer to what I was going to read that day. It was right there for me. I could read it and learn it. And I've done that every day since without missing, except when I got so sick a few years ago and I was in the hospital and I couldn't even focus or concentrate. And during that time, I wasn't able to do that. But let me tell you, when I tell you I'm going to pray for you, if I tell you that, I'm going to write it down. I can show it to you and I'll pray for you. And you can count on it. It's going to happen. I'm going to make that happen. You know, I heard about a little girl in the first grade, six years old, and she was at school and they had a bake sale. And so she wanted to get a cookie, but she didn't have any money. So she decided to make a few dollars. Now, she didn't, when I say she wanted to make a few dollars, I don't mean she got a job and earned some cash. I mean, she sat down and she drew out a dollar, okay? And she made a dollar and she cut it up and she got it all ready and she took it over and she laid it down on the table and paid her dollar and took her cookie and walked out. There you go, right? And we've got a granddaughter who's going to be in the first grade next year. And I'm just going to make sure and tell her in advance, don't do that. That's not a good thing. Make sure that you use real money because... You know, there's a way to tell the difference in what's real and what's fake. You know, if you're into that and counterfeit money, there's color shifting ink and watermark and security thread and serial numbers and raised print. And there's all kinds of ways. And the bank tellers, they don't look at, at counterfeit money to determine what's real. They look at real money all the time, and that's their standard that they go by in order to compare it with the other to see, oh, that's counterfeit. Well, that's the same way it is for you and me with Scripture. We look at the real thing. We look at the real God. We look at the Word of God, the truth of God, and we begin to know what the Scripture says, and we begin to know who's telling us what that says because it's the Word of God. It's the truth. It is Him. We believe that He is the Son of God. And how do we do that? Well, we hide the Scripture in our hearts. That's what my professor was trying to get me to do when I memorized that Scripture back in seminary. Hey, memorize these. They'll come to you, and they do. Now, the third thing, to know what Scripture says... We must be willing to study it. And Psalm says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Okay, two quick stories, and I'll wrap this up, all right? The first one is about a a man named Arlo, true guy. He was a rugged, self-made man, and he got terminal cancer later in his life. 
Now, he, he, would, he liked to talk about his grandfather, who was a sincere Christian. And he said, when we got married, my wife and I first got married, my grandfather gave us a gift for our wedding, and it was this really expensive leather Bible, and it had our names printed in gold lettering on the front. And he said, we took it home, and we kept it in the box, and we put it in a drawer, and we never opened it. But for months, my grandfather kept asking, hey, how do you like your Bible? What do you think about the Bible? And he said, my wife and I wrote a handwritten note. We would tell him thank you every time we saw him. But he just wouldn't let it go. He kept asking about the Bible. So one day, Arlo decided, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look in the Bible. He got curious, and he opened it up. And he looked inside, and what he realized is when he got to the book of Genesis on the front page that his grandfather had put a $20 bill there, right there at the book of Genesis. And then when he got to Exodus, there was a $20 bill there too. And in every book of the Bible, there was a $20 bill, over $1,300. And he had left it in a drawer. There was a treasure waiting for him, but he wouldn't take advantage of it. Now, why did his grandfather do that? Because his grandfather was trying to say to him in a subtle way, let me tell you something. You think this is good? You think this is a treasure? If you'll read this book, it's filled with God's treasures, and they will carry you through life. You'll be so blessed. Every grandparent and every parent want their children and grandchildren to read their Bible and to pray and to go to small group, and to go to church, because you fall in love with God by reading His Word. And that's what he was trying to get him to do. That's what he was trying to teach him. Also, another story, there was a man, he was 35 years old, he decided that he would start the hobby of running. He decided to get, a, get him some shoes and go out and run. He did some 10K races, and then he did a marathon. And then he, he noticed that he would buy magazines about running. And he said he would read those magazines about running. And then something interesting happened. He pulled a muscle one day, and when he pulled that muscle, he wasn't able to run. And he said during a two-month period where he healed up, he said, you know, I still had all those magazines around the house, but I didn't read them anymore because they didn't apply to my life because I wasn't running. He wasn't running. There was no reason to read same thing with scripture you see if you're walking with god if you're living out your faith man you want to get that injection that shot you want to hear from god you want to be pumped up you want to read his word and you want to go out again today and with his help you want to take on the world once again somebody said to me this morning when i came in they said boy your sermon last sunday was so good i tell you he said i went to my car and I, he said i've just been blessed by it all week i said well good go back and listen to it again it'll do you good you can benefit from it right you see you can't go to god's word too much you can't go to it and it's not going to get stale like everything else you can have a favorite movie. You love that movie. You've watched it a million times. But you know what? You know the lines before they get to them, right? But God, he's got new surprises. He's got new treasures for us every day. And all we have to do is spend some time reading his word. Why do I need to read the Bible? Because it's a love letter written by God to you and me. When you get a love letter, you want to just read it over and over and over again, because it's written by somebody who loves you, right? Now listen to me. You can't learn everything there is to know about God without reading His Word. The Holy Spirit can speak to you. 
you can grow and be in discussion in small group and Bible study. But the Bible says his word is sharp as a two-edged sword. In other words, you can just read it for yourself and it will speak to you. Here's the other thing. You can't really know what God thinks about you without reading his word because the enemy is constantly going to try to rob you of your joy. The enemy's going to lie to you and tell you that you're not worthy. The enemy's going to tell you how sorry you are, and he's the accuser. But God's going to tell you the truth, and he's going to tell you he loves you, and he's going to pump you up, and he's going to inspire you, and he's going to bless you, and he's going to help you. And if you start listening to the enemy, and you stop listening to God, then you're going to believe what the world says. And then you're going to be caught up in the culture, and that's not what Christianity is all about. They're diametrically opposed to each other. There's the culture, and there's Christianity, and you want Christianity to win. And so you've got to turn to his word. I want to encourage you. You've heard that all your life. You've heard, I need to read the Bible. I know I need to read the Bible. And it wasn't until I got a little system that I was able to do it faithfully. And I've read through the Bible in a year for years and years, over 20 years now, I've been doing that. I didn't want a journal. I didn't want to do all that. It took time. But you know what? I look forward to it. And it's the first thing I do every morning. And so not only am I going to look at what does the Scripture say, but I'm going to look at why do I need to look at the Scripture? Because once I know why, then I want to know what, right? What if today you decided, you know what? I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to commit to do that. I'm, I'm going to get some kind. Maybe I'll get one of those journals from the office. Maybe I'll do something online. I want to find some way that will make me remember. It's, it's going to pop up on my phone, and I can read it, and I know exactly what to read for today, and then just ask God to speak to me through that. And, and I'll tell you what happens. When you first start out, it's just a duty. It's just something you do. But then it becomes a practice, and then it becomes a joy, and then it just gets longer and longer. And so I go in my office every morning, and I shut the door, and they know not to bother me, and I just spend however long it takes. And, and if I've got a hard day, I may spend longer because I'm going to need more help. Amen? And so you can do the same thing. I'll never forget there was a man in the church in Niceville, Florida, when I was a youth minister, and he was a layman. And, and I would go to him because he taught my class, my Sunday school class, and I would tell him about an issue I was facing. He would say, have you prayed about it? And I would say, you know what, I haven't. I need to do that. And then he would say, what does the Bible say about it? And, boy, he always steered me right back to prayer and Scripture. And, you know, that's what we fall back on today. That's what we need. That's what we do. The joy of the Lord is my strength. How are you going to have the joy of the Lord? Spend time with him. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to take advantage of it. We have it. It's available to us. We're not somewhere where it's not just literally right there at our fingertips, and so we can turn to it. Lord, help us to take advantage, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said,